Good morning. My name is Al Holbert, and it's great to be back with you. I know many of you, and um, our family takes delight. Uh, we've been at First Baptist since uh, 1987, I guess, and and if you are new enough to Antioch or visiting, First B Spun was was the root bed for Antioch to take root, and Ken and the team flew off from from there, and it's exciting to see the way it's grown and the, the prosperity that's there, that's here, and the vibrance that's here, and it's like a kid standing on the adult's shoulders, a parent's shoulders, reaching to places that the parent couldn't possibly reach. And the, the next chapter that you're facing involves me again, and, and as I'm working at Summit, seeing you all make the transition to Summit High School as a venue to meet is an exciting prospect for us as well as for you. And I, there's always going to be trauma in transition. There's going to be, since this is the place where the church started and all the rest, and it's familiar and it's comfortable and you have routines, it's going to be awkward at times making that transition in the middle of January. And yet um, I challenge you to go forward with, with uh, real confidence and, and, uh, and excitement because I think it's a new chapter for Antioch as well as for Summit High School. And um, using that venue on a regular basis on Sundays accomplishes part of the mission we have as, as a school district as well. They have more and more public involvement in the in the place, and and it's just going to be fun having you all around. And did you do a video, Kip, of the place you showed it a couple weeks ago? Kip is living proof that the age of miracles is not over, um, because not only did he have some classes from me at Bend High, but he he earned A's. He didn't get A's. He earned A's. Uh, which is a miracle. But then, but then he somehow convinced the Bronson girl to, to marry him. And so we're, we're excited about next Saturday. We're excited about, uh, the wedding coming up and congratulations. Um, well, let me take you back. Back in uh, the last century when I was in college, um, which seems a long time ago, I, like many other college students, spent a summer most of a summer in Europe, I was with a group of guys. We were playing rugby in England and Wales and, and around. And, and uh, we took a lot of side trips around. And one of the side trips we took when we were there was to Greenwich, England. And uh, Greenwich is just outside of London. And some of you have been there before. And it's, it's an interesting place because it's the place where they mark the prime meridian. And it's a, it was a politically influenced, arbitrary, imaginary line it's kind of like four corners. Some of you guys have traveled down to Arizona. My daughters still talk about the family trip from hell, the Griswolds trip in the West kind of thing, where we went to the four corners where you can put a, a foot in each and a hand. Has anybody ever done that, taking the picture with a foot? Come on, really? And, and, uh, but, and, and Greenwich is kind of like that because there's a line and there's a, a building and people take their picture straddling the, the prime meridian and the, and the prime meridian is an imaginary line that divides the world east to west. And it runs through England because it was set at a time when, when politically that was the center of the world. But it's an, it's an imaginary line. But it carries tremendous significance because without it, whenever you traveled east to west, you really would have no measure to know how far you were going toward your destination. Same way as... We can liken an imaginary line to today and tomorrow and the next day and the New Year's idea where, where we're on the, on the verge of another imaginary line. And, and this is like the New Year's Sunday. 
Um, people look forward and they make resolutions. I'm going to lose weight, exercise more, read books, travel, do what all these things. And like most resolutions, they're done before the month of January is done. Um, but what we're going to do today, this, this imaginary line, just like the prime meridian gives us a baseline to see how far we've traveled and how far we have yet to go, New Year's provides us another arbitrary line that we can use to our advantage in our God life as we say, not only where do I want to go, but how far have I traveled? How effectively have I lived? And we're going to do that through looking at the first part of one of David's psalms in the Older Testament, and it's Psalm 16. And out of out of Psalm 16, the first six verses, there's three questions that I think are worthy of your time to bounce around in today and tomorrow and the next day to, to evaluate to see how far how far you've journeyed and how effectively you've come. And so I'm going to have I'm going to have these verses on the screen here in just a second. There we go. And this is out of Psalm 16. And this, this psalm has kind of captured my imagination for the last number of months. And I keep finding myself going back to it and, and evaluating who I am in relationship to what David says in these. And he says, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You're my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they're the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places and surely have a delightful inheritance. And so this morning we're going we're gonna to bang through these verses to see if there's things for us to use to evaluate where we are. But let's pray first. Father God, I pray that this morning that I would not get in the way of the messages you would have your people hear. I would ask that the Spirit of God would open up the eyes of the hearts of the hearers so that they could be receptive to maybe changes, maybe plans, maybe evaluations that you intend them to make at the end of this year. And Father, in the world that we live, we pray that we could be light and salt wherever we are. And we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if we look at those first two verses, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you're my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I've worked this verse back and forth, these two verses back and forth a number of times. But for us at the end of the year, I see it capsulizing in a question that's worthy of asking. And the question is this. In the last year, what have I truly relied on for my security, my strength, and my direction? That's a question worth asking at the end of the year. How have I done? You and I live in a dangerous world. Uh, There's no doubt about that. Internationally, Kelsey and I, our younger daughter, were traveling down on Thursday to San Francisco to, uh, to watch Oregon State, the mother of all universities, bless her holy name, to watch Oregon State play in the Emerald Bowl. And and as we were traveling on Thursday, the news broke that uh, Benazir Bhutto had been assassinated in possibly the most dangerous country internationally for everyone else in the world, in Pakistan. Pakistan has nukes. Pakistan is unstable. Pakistan is battling uh, uh, all types of internal policies. And we had banked our bet on her. 
and um, and she's dead. Internationally, it's a dangerous world. Personally, we live in a dangerous world. There's outside threats. You may this morning be sitting here wondering, how am I going to make the money stretch? What about my relationships or the lack of my relationships, my health, my future, my jobs, my lack of job? Externally, there are all kinds of outside threats that make this a dangerous world to live in. We also battle internal deceits, internal deceits that put us at risk, overconfidence, thinking we can handle stuff that we really are outmatched to handle, fear of failure, the fear of losing face, internal deceits that you and I need to, to face. It's a dangerous world. And the tendency is to, I think it's human nature, is to trust our wits, our experience, our guile, to figure it out on ourselves. I, maybe like you, have gotten to the place where I've said, I'm not going to pray about this. God's got Pakistan to worry about. I'm not going to bother God with my X or Y. When he says, pray about everything. Pray about everything. You're outmatched with almost everything you face. Either we don't want to bother God or we don't see the need to involve God and and that, men and women, exposes you to danger. And so at the end of the year, it's worth saying, what have I really been relying on? You and I are built. We are built to be in a dependent relationship with him. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. He wouldn't say that if he wasn't outmatched for the, sa- for the task at hand. Keep me safe. I take refuge in you. This time of year, a bunch of friends from Bend High for years have gone to Summer Lake to go duck hunting, to slay the ducks and geese. And really, it's an excuse for a hairy man weekend. And uh, they go down there and they camp. And I got to say, I've been there a number of times. Go down there and camp and build a big fire and, and you know, go out and hunt and all the rest. And the, and the key is, is to catch the ducks and the geese as they go from the the stubble fields where they're feeding back to the refuge because you can't hunt on the refuge. They're safe. They run into it, and they are safe. And so you stand at the margins, and and that's the danger zone. You can't really get them where they're feeding. You can't get in the refuge, but there is a danger zone. And the ducks and geese are, are, are vulnerable right there. And he says, another version said, Keep me safe, O Lord. I run for dear life to you. Now, you have to have your eyes open to see the danger to know that you have to run for dear life to God. And I encourage you to open your eyes wide to see exactly the fate that you face because without it, you're going to put yourself at danger and you're going to not continue to make progress in this walk of faith. It's not weakness to call on God, it's wisdom. And there's a verse that you need to tattoo on the inside of your eyelids about this, and that's Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, those of you who know it, and are, say it, safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and are what? Safe. Refuge. Secure. You're not built for the things you're facing alone. You're built to be in that dependent relationship with God. And so he says, it's notable that the world is filled with danger. 
So be wise enough. Now, this is all about that vertical relationship with God. This is that first question that we ask that is all about us and him. And so part of it is my security, my safety. But the second part of it is about my direction. I said to the Lord, you're my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Let's take the last part. Apart from you, I have no good thing. There's not that there's no good thing in me, but there's no thing adequate in me. I've proved it over and over. Back in the 70s, there was a Christian, contemporary Christian singer named Pam Mark Hall, and she sang a song that I used to butcher and try to sing as well, and and the, the phrase just went, Lord, I've gone and done it again. Is there ever again the ways that I find to fail you? And, and she's gone and done it again and done it again. There's no good thing in me that can match the, the need that I face. So he makes a statement instead. He says, I said to the Lord. Now, that's a statement of position. I, I said to the Lord. I, I didn't say, he doesn't say, I said to the one who says he's Lord. Very clear. I said to the one who really is Lord, then he personalizes it. You're my Lord. You're my Lord. That's the position that you and I will prosper in, is when we say, God really is God, and I will truly be under his direction. So I study the scriptures, and I see what he says about my money, my future, my jobs, my relationships. I see what he teaches me about my future, my present, my past. I I follow that and I say, I will respond because I've chosen to be under his lordship. That's a choice. It doesn't come by accident. It doesn't come by osmosis. It's a choice where I say, I know what God says about me and my marriage. I have a choice to do that or not. I know what he says about me and my job. I have a choice to do it or not. And he says, that's the place where you're going to find strength, You're going to find security. You're going to find direction. You're going to move forward. December 30th, I think a great question for you to ask out of these first two verses is, what have I been relying on and where do I need to tweak possibly my orientation? Possibly it's in terms of lordship. Well, he goes on in verses 2 and 3, next couplet, verse 3 and 4. He says, as for the saints who are in the land... They are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who will increase, who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take their names upon my lips. This is the question is, who have I been traveling with? And what's my direction? Who've been my traveling companions, my partners, my close friends? And what direction have I been going in this last year? Um, Your mom was right. Your mom was right when she said, that friend is going to take you in a bad way. That's not a good friend to have. Choose your friends carefully. That, your mom was right. Men and women, there is no such thing as a neutral close relationship, as a neutral close friendship. They're either going to take you one way or the other. Now, I understand that we have all kinds of friends, and there's concentric circles of intimacy. We have our close, intimate friends, our very close friends. We have friends, we have acquaintances, and then we have the folks we know. The closer in a person is in those concentric circles of intimacy, the more influence they have in your life. Truism, right? Mom was right. 
Choose your friends wisely because you are going to be like your friends. I've spent the last 17 years in public school. Second career for me. It's been a great ride in the middle level, in high school, and now as an administrator. I swore I'd never join the dark side, and here I am. I'm one of them, and, and uh, I'm an administrator now. And, and I have kids coming in my office, the vice principal. Here it is. you know, and they, They're in my office for one reason. They screwed up. And, uh, and I've got a, I've got a Gumby figure and I've got alligator and a, a petrified alligator head. And I give them a choice. You can either have Gumby or the teeth. It's all up to you, however you respond. And, and I inevitably get back to the place of saying, look what your friends have done. Look at the direction you've gone by the choices you've made. You and I are in a situation where We are marinated in the culture of our close relationships. Think about that. You and I are marinating in the culture of our closest relationships. If they're healthy, we get healthy. We get stronger. If they're unhealthy, negative, poor, we grow the same way. There's no such thing as a neutral, close relationship because because. Friends take us toward a destination. You and I are chasing God. You and I are on a quest to be more like Jesus, to be doing good and being like God in our, in our culture. We're heading in a direction. It's a time to challenge yourself. Who have been my closest traveling partners? And have I made progress like I wanted to? The power of encouragement is pretty fun because you can literally see if you're that person who makes a difference in someone's life, you can literally see them transform before their eyes. And, and it's like a golf caddy relationship. You know, the, the pro golfer with the caddy, he wants to make sure he's traveling with somebody who is going to lift him up and encourage her or him as a, as a professional athlete. They don't want the caddy who sits there with their hands in their pockets and said, God, man, you're never going to make that shot. <laughs> there is no flipping way You're going to 10 cup that 10 times out of 10. If you haven't seen the movie, then you don't know the analogy. The 10 cup. Anyway, you're going to do, you're going to, but you get a caddy who says, pull out the three wood. You drill that thing. You can make this putt. Read the break. You can do that. That's the role of friendships. Another great verse to have. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron. There's friction, there's heat as the steel is on steel and they both get sharper as iron sharpens iron. So one believer who's chasing after good and God sharpens another. There's another part of it. Good friends sometimes tick you off. Proverbs 27, 6, I think says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, the enemies are going to tell you what you want to hear. The people who aren't really out for your best are going to say, oh, you're okay, when in reality you know that's not the case. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Al, you screwed it. You're done. And some of the closest friends I have have said some of the hardest things I had to hear. But deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Who have been your traveling companions? And And where are you going? And he says, as for the saints who are in the land, I love that phrase in the land. If you just kind of pick that out, in the land means right in the same situation that you and I are in. We're in the same boat. It's not someone who has been there, done that, and retired. 
It's someone who is standing right in the soup with you. As for the saints who are in the land, they're glorious. And they're in my delight. Why? Because we're chasing after the same thing. We're facing the same challenges. We're going to hold each other up. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. It says, it talks about the value of a companion. Value in standing with somebody else. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood. I will not. That's choice. You have a choice in terms of your vertical relationship with God. We saw that in verses 1 and 2. Choosing him to be Lord. You have a choice here as well to see what direction you're going to challenge. I will not pour out their libations of blood. I have to make a choice in terms of the people that I have as close personal friends if I'm going to move forward in this faith life. Some friends need to have the bloody cut. Some relationships you know aren't healthy, you need to have the bloody cut. We're done. More often than not, we can just simply think about a boat tied up at a dock and you simply untie the rope and it drifts away. You're just not available. It just isn't working out. Sorry, I can't meet tonight. And, and there's distance and then other things come in the way and you've changed friend groups. It works, men and women, it works with folks who are freshmen in high school or middle schoolers to people who are seniors and retired because all adults are are tall children. We just get better at the games that kids play in school. Paul would talk about this power, power of relationships. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, he says, don't be deceived. In other words, don't be an idiot. Bad company corrupts good morals. Mom was right. Bad company corrupts good morals. Men and women, at the end of the year, it's a great thing to challenge yourself with Who've been my close friends? What direction have I been going? Has a person or a group, even someone who really is attractive to me, they're fun, it's to my advantage with my business, I'm more popular, are they taking me in a direction that after the day's over and I kind of do an assessment, I say, man, I'm not closer today. I'm farther. You're going to go in one of two directions. So the challenge is, who've been my traveling companions? We'll go from there. Let's go to the next two verses. Here we go. Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. This is a question we we can loosely say, how have I done with my assignment? First one is my vertical relationship with God. How am I doing in terms of who's in charge? Second one, my horizontal relationships. How am I making choices in terms of my relationships with others? Are they making me stronger? Third one, this is all about my relationship to purpose. How am I doing with my assignment? This talks about here and there. Lord, you've assigned me my portion of my cup. Bottom down there, surely I have a delightful inheritance. The there part of it is heaven. My inheritance is heaven. For most believers, heaven is so vague. We think, you know, it's all about here and now. Yes, Jesus 
died so that I could be forgiven and he's going to get me to heaven. But we have this vague picture of what heaven is because it's a dimension that we've never visited. It'd be like me having gone to Disneyland and you have only heard about it and me trying to explain to you that there's the magic kingdom and you take this way and it's forever or future, whatever it is, tomorrow land. And this way is frontier land. And, and, and you would say, oh, that's nice. But you have no perspective. That, men and women, is your inheritance. A book that crystallized what that's going to be like for me that I would put on your list for this first quarter is Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. Randy Alcorn, a writer in the Portland area, wrote a book that I think is going to become a classic that says, here's why we need to be excited about our inheritance. It's a beautiful inheritance. We're going to be busy. You're not sitting on a cloud in a robe with wings strumming a harp. You're at work. In great work. And everything we've experienced here has prepared you for there. That's my assignment is to get ready for that. But, but my, the here part of this is all about influence. It's all about influence. Lord, you've assigned me my portion of my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Men and women, this, if you grab a hold of this and, and, and really understand this and employ it, it will add fizz to the coke of life. Otherwise, you're just kind of going through a routine. You're on a hamster, in a hamster cage, hamster wheel, and you're just kind of running laps. God has placed you. Let me say it very clearly so you don't miss it. God has placed you exactly where you are to be him in that place. To do good and to shine light and to sprinkle salt so that people could say, Wow, God really is neat. Your place as a student, as a barista, as a teacher, as a, as a lawyer, as a doctor, as a whatever, as a homemaker, as a retiree, your place is where God says, that's your assignment. And the assignment is going to change. But if you can see it as a divine appointment, it changes how you go to work. It changes everything. Because now... You are God's person there. It makes it more than just the assistant principal at a small high school in a small central Oregon town in a, in, in, you know, just here we are. It makes me have an assignment. I thought for sure the rest of my working years were going to be, I thought my assignment was locked in. Going to work in room B18 at Bend High School, teach social studies to guys like Kip and live to tell about it. And, uh, and, and that was going to be my assignment. I was working hard to be as faithful as I could. And then three or four curious turns of events. And God clearly says, Al, I got a new assignment for you. It's across town. You're no longer in the classroom. You're not at the high school you're used to, and you're no longer coaching. Good luck. People ask, are you having fun? Not yet. But clearly I have an assignment from God. Clearly. I got a chance to be doing good and making a difference and being God in that place. It's a relationship to purpose. Some of us look at boundary lines and we think, I want my boundary to be big. God says, this is your boundary right now. Don't be jealous over somebody else's. You have yours. Match to your gifts, your abilities, your place in life. This is where I want you to be. Keep your options open. You never know what's going to happen. But this is your place. Francis Schaeffer in the, 
70s, early 70s, uh, the, for, the now dead Christian philosopher, brilliant man, uh, wrote a book that's worth the price just for the title. No Little People, No Little Places. It's all about mission. It's all about ministry. Sometimes we have opportunities to expand our boundary lines to go different places. Kip and I traveled 10 different times to Mexico over spring break with groups of kids and, and adults and crazy trips down to El Florido, a, a, a suburb of Tijuana, and built houses with the more ministries. And, and we have tons of stories and great times. But the, the legacy of that is that is that there's 20 to 25 families who now are in houses still years afterwards that we had a chance to go. We had a different assignment. And the boundary lines were beautiful to us. I wouldn't exchange those memories for anything. But it doesn't have to be over there. It can be right where you are. But then every once in a while, things come in and capture your attention. And you say, I will spend extra time. We have a freshman at our school who attends church here, Lindsey Brown, who is involved with ransomware. And um, she spearheaded this effort to uh, sell the, the stuff from the Nepalese women who've been rescued out of the, uh, the sex trade uh, as sex slaves and uh, the, the ski wear, the hats, and all that kind of stuff. And she sold it. And, and I, last I heard, we made close to $2,000, which is the benchmark price to ransom another woman. How powerful is that? That, that's just wonderful. But you know what? It could be doing, any of you could do that as you do it in the midst of your normal ministry. You're not a barista. You're a cleverly disguised missionary. Not so much saying, here's my 40-pound Bible, whap, but instead saying, give me the opportunity to do good to shine light, to sprinkle salt. And when you hear the music long enough, and then someday you're going to say, what are the lyrics to that song? And you're going to say, Jesus. And it's going to be right because you have earned the right to be heard. Lord, you have assigned me my portion of my cup. You've made my lot secure. I know exactly where I am supposed to be, you say. The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Some of you are in places you say, you don't know my boundary lines. It's weedy, overgrown, ugly, snaggy, full of snakes and rocks. And Well, get to work. Get to work. Start cultivating. That's the job. So the, the challenge for us today at the end of the year in terms of what we're supposed to be doing is, is not waiting. So many people are waiting until school is done. I'm married. The kids are grown. The bills are paid or whatever it is. Then... No, this is an in the midst of life. You and I are called to be salt and light and making a difference in the midst of all that stuff because you're just like everybody else. So men and women, here we are on the eve of an arbitrary line. We're just, uh, this is like the prime meridian. Let's go to that next slide. You know, as the year winds down, I want to challenge you to take some time to assess your progress. And, and the idea is progress, not perfection. This isn't the last lap. It may be. You may be done this year. There's no guarantees. But the idea is progress in this God life, not perfection. 
three challenges out of Psalm 16. I would encourage you to go home and read it. The nice thing is the, the sep, verses 7 through 12, the rest of it, kind of talk about the results of making those commitments up on top. The results of sleeping the sleep of a clear conscience and having security and a sense of prosperity and a, and a, and a real sense of that God life. But make that choice in terms of locking in tighter in terms of lordship. What God says, do, I will choose to do. Evaluate the friendships you have, those close personal friendships, and which direction are they going, and what type, what changes need to be made. Now I want to challenge you to assess how much progress you've made in your journey, in your effectiveness, in your assignment. And what are you doing in terms of your ministry? Because God has given it to you, and yours is different than mine. I'm not jealous of yours. Don't be jealous of mine. It's just place. Gifting is different. Assignment is different. And we're called to be faithful. We do that. We sang a song earlier in the service. If we do that, then we're going to make progress toward what we sang. We delight in you, said that one chorus, and we turn from our old ways. You are our God. You're our Lord. That's a statement of position. And the challenge for us is to learn to live into that. Let's pray together. Father God, I would pray that this would be the year that many of the folks here and including me would make more progress than we've seen possibly ever. I would pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so we could see all of what you have for us, the blessings, the challenges, I pray that we would run with endurance the race that stepped before us. I pray that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, that that even despising the shame, he endured the cross and he went ahead before us and he paved the way. Father God, we love you. We look forward to seeing what you're going to do in this church through the next year and in our lives through the next year. And just as a side, we do pray our blessing on the future Jones couple that you would make their lives full and meaningful. And all God's people said...